Hey there. The holidays are here, so it's good to know Fred Meyer can save you some time with free pickup on all your fresh favorites. Whether your traditions call for a hearty helping of juicy ham, ample apple pie, or Aunt Sue's legendary twice-stuffed stuffing, Fred Meyer has got you covered. So order for free pickup at fredmeyer.com or the app and get more time to get your holiday on when you grab your groceries curbside. Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Welcome to the Everyday Mindfulness Show, the off-the-cuff exploration of everyday aha moments and life experiences. Join a cast of over 70 uniquely brilliant individuals. Each week, Mike Domish and an eclectic mix of cast members and special guests will engage in mindful and lively conversations about everything from meditation to spirituality to personal passions to successes and failures to relationships to the stuff that makes up the moments of our daily lives. Let's get started with your host, author, speaker, provocateur, and a bit of a goofball, Mike Domish. One of our amazing sponsors this week is Zen Parenting Radio. Zen Parenting Radio podcast combines self-awareness and mindfulness with pop culture and humor to expand compassion for ourselves, each other, and the world. Join my friends Kathy and Todd at zenparentingradio.com. I am so excited this episode of this show because... Uh, as many of you who listen know, we, I, we often have people on who are colleagues of mine in the, in the speaking world, who are authors, who I've met traveling the world. But this person sitting next to me, <laughs> I've known since kindergarten. Yes. Uh, we went literally to school from kindergarten all the way through high school together. We lived, oh, about a block and a half away from each other. Mm-hmm. I just go through my backyard and down the street to Jamie's house. We have some funny childhood stories, but we won't go there. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe we will today, but... Uh, I've known you for so long, and your journey's been so amazing, Jamie. So you graduate high school, you go to college to get, get a degree to become a teacher, mm-hmm. and now I want to pause there, because okay. somewhere along this journey, you go to Haiti, and everything mm-hmm. changes. So can you bring us to that point? Yeah, I um, I had always had an interest in Haiti, because when I was a little girl, my we lived there for about a year and a half. My dad had been transferred down to Port-au-Prince back in, I want to say, the early 70s, maybe like 72. He was there for about six months, and then my mom decided that the family should be together. So she took my two older brothers and me down, and then we were there for just over a year or so. So I grew up hearing the stories about our time in Haiti, seeing the slides. And at that time, Haiti was still under a dictator, Baby Doc. And so... The, the stories about Haiti were very interesting to everybody. And that's actually why I started taking French in middle school, because I knew they spoke French in Haiti. And kind of in the back of my mind, I was always going to go back at some point. Now, I want to pause for everyone listening. When we talk early 70s, uh, we're the same age. <laughs> You're like three years old when this is all mm-hmm. happening. But this is stuck in your brain. Like yes. This, this is one of those childhood memories that stayed with you. It did. I th- one of my first memories is of being in our house in Port-au-Prince. And I remember I had to stay upstairs because the the nannies, the maids were afraid that if something happened to me, my parents could report them and then the government would punish the the Haitian maids because my parents were American. And so that's one of my first memories is of that. And I don't know that I have any other real accurate memories of Haiti, but because the stories I've heard so much, I don't know if... They're real memories or just 
the stories right. that Somebody's I remember. Right, filled in the blanks for right, you. Right, right, right. So then, you know, after college, I um, some of my dreams were put on hold because I was, I kind of had that mentality of, okay, get a job, work, settle down, you know, get, get established, and then you can do some of the fun things. And probably, honestly, it wasn't until mid to late 30s that I started realizing that if I don't start doing some of these things now, it could be too late. <laughs> and, and I didn't want that to happen. Well, so, so you get to mid to late 30s. You're a teacher in Illinois. Mm-hmm. What, and for everyone listening and going, what are you guys talking yeah, You haven't really explained, Mike. I'm going to jump ahead so we mm-hmm. can go back. Uh, so, and by the way, I said Jamie, but Jamie Schumacher, for everyone okay. listening, uh, is Jamie's full name. It, currently today, we'll, we'll, we'll step mm-hmm. back here in a moment. Okay. But currently today, you're working at an orphanage in Haiti and a school. Uh, yes and no. I'm working part-time at Morningstar Christian Academy as their school counselor. So I'm there three days a week. Then the other two days of the week, I'm actually um, helping to run the Haiti Center for Inclusive Education, which is the school that my Haitian friend Gertrude and I opened. She's the one who runs the orphanage that I've been connected with for the last eight years. Okay, I love this. And I love the name. Can you say the name again? When you first opened it, I saw that name. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so... So inclusive mm-hmm. all by itself. Right. So, the Haiti Center for Inclusive Education. And what does that school do? We primarily target students with special needs. We have one classroom of kids with some fairly significant cognitive or physical um, developmental delays. We also have a preschool and a kindergarten, very small, like 15 kids in one, 10 kids in the other. And then we have a mixed grade level class of four first graders, three second graders, and a third grader. Most of those kids probably have a learning disability of some sort. And because of the way the Haitian school system is set up, if you have a learning disability, you're just lost. It's, you know, if you don't pass the exams at the end of the year, you don't get promoted to the next grade level. So do you stay at the same grade level forever or are you kicked out? You can stay at the same grade level as long as your parents or you can afford to pay. Our our third grader is 14 years old. And I know she has a learning disability. And you've literally, I mean, the story's incredible. You've driven up on children on the street mm-hmm. who clearly are, are struggling with some life challenge and been able to in, engage them and help them get in potentially to the school or invite them into that environment mm-hmm. to be able to thrive in a new place. Right. Yeah. You know, I think the, the one example you're talking about is back in August, I had been driving to and from the school and there was this child in a wheelchair who was being you know pushed by a family relative and I stopped a couple of times talked with them gave them my business card explained where the school was and I was all prepared to you know pay for that child's education it's maybe $150 a year um, for schooling at the, the inclusive center unfortunately that child could never come because she lived too far away and what the family would do is drop her and this this other family member off to beg on the streets, but they had no way to get her to school every day, pay for books, buy the uniform, and those kinds of things. So there's just every obstacle you can think of that could be put in a person's place who has special needs, it exists in Haiti. Yeah, and we just, I don't think people realize just how, in many ways, grateful we should be for even our, in some ways, some of our tougher situations here pale in comparison, mm-hmm. educational-wise, educational access-wise, to what you experienced there in Haiti. 
and and you opened this school, but it all started. So let's let's back that up a little bit. It did all start because you went down to an or, the orphanage. Mm-hmm. That's Gertrude that yes, you referred to. Yep. So how did you? How did that happen? That's totally a God story. And I I'm, I mean my faith is is a very important part of of who I am in my life. But at the church I was attending um, in Illinois, we were looking to do our first adult mission trip, and so we didn't know if we wanted to do national international. So I was like, well. I'll check out mission trips in Haiti and see what's up. And somebody else looked at some national ones. And during my, I, seriously, I went on Google, Googled, you know, mission trips to Haiti for adults. And I came across this website for the Haiti Mission Project out of like the Minneapolis area. So I sent them an email, said, you know, we're interested in going. Can you give me more information? Nothing really came of that because as a church, we decided to go down to New Orleans. It was about a year or so after Hurricane Katrina. People were a little bit hesitant to go international, so we went there. About another year or so passes, and I get this email from the Haiti Mission Project saying, we have a mission trip planned for November. Are you still interested? What you know? I'm like, sure. So I get permission from my school district to miss a couple days of work because it was over Thanksgiving. A couple days, you know, right, right. You know, so I... I Go down with this group. I've never met anybody in there. Have only contacted them via email a couple of times. And it's on that first mission trip that I met Gertrude and the children at her orphanage, which is called Notre Maison, which is our house in French. And I'm not kidding. The The minute I got off the plane, and at that time it was in Haiti, you still you disembarked onto the tarmac and then walked to the building. And as I stepped off the plane, I felt as if I'd come home. And that's the only way I can describe it is that the sense of peace settled over me. So that very first time, how many years ago is that? It'll be um, eight years ago this week. Okay. Right. And you've had the school open for, is it two now? Second no, year? the school's only been open for like four months. Before, but you were working on getting it all together yes, about two yes, years ago. So yeah. it officially opened about four months ago. Exactly. Right. Uh, so it's been an eight-year journey, mm-hmm. but you made inclement steps. Yes. Because somebody listening right now could think, hey, how do I do that? But you didn't just jump and move no, there. No, I did not. <laughs> you, you started taking trips to the orphanage, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, right? Right. And I, so I, I spent that first week there in 2009, and then the earthquake happened in January of 2010. Mission trips weren't going because there was a great need for like medical trips and, and everything. And what I did is I just emailed Gertrude back and said, can I just come and spend a week with you and just hang out with the kids? And she was like, sure. So I went back Thanksgiving of 2010, just started going back on my own over Thanksgiving break and spring break. And I would go and just hang out with the kids, play with them. And Gertrude and I really started talking about what special kid, special needs kids need, because the more time I spent with those, that population of, of kid there, the more I realized that if those kids had been born in the States, they would be so much further along. They would have received early intervention from that birth to three gap. Schools would have provided physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy. VIEPs. Exactly. And, And as much as maybe we get frustrated with the legal aspect of some of the special education law in the States, it serves a purpose. And these kids at Notre Maison were getting none of that at all. And so that's when Gertrude and I started talking about, let's create a school. Let's, let's meet the need ourselves since it doesn't exist anywhere else. So how do you financially do that? 
Right, you're working. I mean, somebody listening right now is going, "Wait, I'm talking to a teacher right now." Right, that's what they do in their head. I, I know. You and I both right. know people make stereotypes <laughs> right. like this teacher's right. salary, uh, and a person working in an orphanage. How do you financially build a school? God provides through the generosity of other people. When Gertrude and I were first um, planning the school, we decided first step was to just buy land, and I'm not kidding. Within about Six or seven months, family and friends donated $15,000 to purchase land. That's awesome. And that that has nothing to do with me or Gertrude. That's just, for me, that's God working in people's lives. Yeah, but it's, I mean, we have to be fair here for our listeners. It's it's people working and taking no way from what you said, nothing away from God working in mysterious right. ways. But it's because people believe there was a God presence in you. In other words... They trusted you. It, yeah. They don't just give $15,000 to somebody to buy That's land true. in Haiti. They trusted you. They saw your heart, the love of what you mm-hmm. were doing over there. And they said, I believe in you. And, and God's going to present itself through you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's really important for people to think about, which is, you know, if, if I were to make, if any of us were to try to do this, how have we presented ourselves to the world in a way that people mm-hmm. do feel safe and trusting and mm-hmm. want to be a part of that? That's, that's awesome that you were able to do that. And you make a good point, because when I say it's not about me, and I, I really do mean that, but I think what people see is my passion for it and my genuine interest in, in helping these kids have better lives. And, and that may be what they're responding to. It's, you know, because obviously if people weren't going to be willing vehicles for God to work through, you know, it, lots of stuff wouldn't happen. That's right. But it's, I, I agree yeah. all the time. I say to people, when, I, when people invest in entrepreneurs, and, and this is social entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. uh, when people believe uh, or invest in, it's because they believe the entrepreneur. Right. They do. They believe yeah. in the, the person leading the charge and that, that somehow you're going to get through this. And mm-hmm. I believe in the mission or I believe in your message and what you're doing, even if it's financial and I believe mm-hmm. it's going to make money. It's still because they believe the person <laughs> that's doing it yeah. is going to make money. So I, yeah, I think you bring something really important. Are you bringing your passion to the table that people can see that mm-hmm. and you're living it? You were just living it. Like people are looking at you going, that's what Jamie does. Mm-hmm. That's who Jamie is. So you don't have to sell the passion because people watch that. For most people, they don't know these kids in Haiti. They don't know Gertrude. Um, they've they've learned about them through me and the, the stories I tell. But I think they they genuinely saw this mattered to me. And in right. fact, um, after I don't, maybe my second or third trip down, I was talking with one of my colleagues who taught with me in the English department at um, Rotolo Middle School in Batavia. And we were talking, and she's like, so when are you moving down there? I'm going to pause. That's Batavia, Illinois. Yes. Because somebody could be listening to me. Batavia, oh. like Europe? All right. right. So, yeah, well, she, a, she really yeah. has worked all over the world, but yeah, this is no. in Illinois. Right. And the person said to you? She said, so when are you moving down there? I'm like, what do you mean? And she's like, this is obviously a passion of yours. You, you sparkle and glow when you talk about this. And I was like, well, I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> and, and so then... What I what I decided was that I needed to be there more long term to to really make a commitment to making the school work. So I asked my the school district for a leave of absence for that second semester of the 2012-2013 school year. So I spent roughly January to the end of May 2013 living and working at the orphanage and trying to get the school up and started. It didn't happen. It just Things were, were crazy, and it just wasn't the right time. 
let's pause there because I think this is really important because anybody who's starting something new they believe in, this is going to happen. And we don't talk enough about it, which is the roadblocks and what it feels like failure mm-hmm. at the time. How do you, how do you, well, mentally, what are you doing for yourself at that time? Because obviously that's emotionally <laughs> difficult, whether it was tears or anger or frustration or mm-hmm. all of that. How are you working through that? That was, um, there, it was hard because on the one hand, I felt embarrassed. Not so much that I was a failure, but I thought, I told all these people, I'm going down to Haiti, I'm going to start this school, and, and now I have to go back and be like, yeah, that didn't happen. The other big piece of that was Gertrude and I were able to pay off some land that her former guest house had been on that had been destroyed in the earthquake because uh-huh. we decided we would build the school there on that property. But then, because that guest house was the, her primary source of income for the orphanage, she decided to, she wanted to rebuild the guest house on that property, not the school. And that blindsided me because that was a decision she made right. without talking with me about it. And I thought, okay, so now not only do I feel embarrassed that the school isn't starting, but how do I go back to friends and family who donated $15,000? Explain there's a guest house. Right, right, yeah. It would be a guest house, not a school. Oops, my bad. You know? So that's, and I think that was harder for me to handle than the school not starting. Sure. And Um, so did that require, because you two are still working together mm -hmm. now. So how did you two work through that? Because obviously for you, <laughs> there had to be some pain of dis- mistrust mm-hmm. uh, that when that occurs, right? Mm-hmm. And so what was your communication method of you two working through that? I think that's really important because some people are mm-hmm. out there with partnerships and right. wonder, man, I would have been out at that point. <laughs> but you, were, you, you realize this is still the person I need to work through here. Right. How did you? Was it just upfront, we got to call this out and have a conversation? Or was there a lot of... It was not talking for a while. <laughs> and this is where the distance helped because some of those initial conversations were done via email. And so, and again, and that's both blessing and curse because you have time to think about what you want to say. Right. And you can type it out. I can, I had friends double check it. I'm like, is this saying what I wanted to say? Am right. I being... Back in our day, it was write the letter, was, right? Exactly. And then did you mail it or not? Exactly. Right. Now it's you know? email. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so that's how it started. And then... We actually sat down face to face and had uh, a mutual friend, not formally mediate, but be there to help us understand each other. I love this. And and we had a chance, and I had a chance to say, I feel embarrassed. People trusted me with thousands of dollars of money, and I have nothing to show for it. And now, how do I go back and ask those same people to trust me again with money? And, and, and she had the opportunity to explain to me more clearly why she felt the guest house was the best move. And, and can I guess that it was ongoing revenue for the school forever? Was for that, the orphanage, that, I mean, yes. for the orphanage? Right. Right. Well, the, that, that guest house still isn't built. You know, so, I mean, this is, okay. it gets Okay, the decision to do that, but it was not actually built. Correct. Okay, got it. I'm just going to pause this for one second because I want to let everyone listening know about one of our amazing sponsors. This week's program is brought to you by the Can I Kiss You program, an interactive 
how-to skills-based program for school systems, universities, and the U.S. military throughout the world, addressing consent, bystander intervention, respecting boundaries, how to talk about what you want and don't want, and supporting survivors of sexual assault. Now, for many of you listeners out there know, this is what I do for a living. I travel the world giving the County Kishore Program and many other trainings throughout the world. So yes, this is me uh, that you're bringing in to speak. If you're interested, contact our offices. Ask for Rita at the Date Safe Project. Our website's datesafeproject.org or you can call Rita at 800-329-9390. That's this week's sponsor of this episode. And in listening to her, I get it. The guest house was the sole income for the orphanage. Right. And she needs that to really, to get money coming in for the kids. And I had to let go of the, but you didn't ask me. Right. You know, and it's it's not my orphanage. It's not, those aren't my kids. Those are her children. And she is sacrificed. And that was her first love. Like you're exactly. coming along with the school, but that's right. because of the orphanage. Exactly. That's what she said. Right. And those right. children are her children. It, you know, it's... Um, so I'm, I had to let go of my piece of this is about me. Well, no, it's it's not. It's and I and I had to find a way to um, handle the the loss of the money. And for a while, I stepped back. I didn't do a lot of fundraising because I wasn't comfortable with asking people to support me again right. with something that had fallen through before. Right, you're sitting there thinking, I, I've lost their trust, whether you <laughs> right, had or not. Right, I the imagine is, I did. Right, right. You had the story in your mind that mm-hmm. I've lost their trust now right. uh, based on this happening. So, but you do, I mean, it's brilliant that there's a mediator. That's mm-hmm. for anyone listening. I mean, if you're having a hard time with someone, what a great idea. Mm-hmm. Who do we both get along with? <laughs> right. Right, that could help us mend mm-hmm. this, or maybe we decide not to mend it. In your case, you did. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at least we have a clearing, right, right. that allowed right. that to happen. In a very difficult time. So that that's brilliant. So you get through that clearing. Mm-hmm. And now, how many years before you come back to going after the school? Because this is still five years ago. Right. And in, so I kind of want to go back to my time there in 2013, because the school wasn't coming along. But what I was doing was developing a physical therapy program for the special needs kids there. And, and I don't have a physical therapy background. I mean, I was you know, a former athlete. So I, you know, loved biology. So I, I kind of know like muscles and, and things like that. And when I say physical therapy program, that's probably um, too big of a term. It was a lot of like play therapy. Like let's get the kids down on the floor, out of their wheelchairs. Here are some blocks. Practice putting them together, pulling them apart. Right. Movement. Right. right. And so, you know, I did some massaging. Again, just movement and, and things like that. But out of that then developed... Um, a summer internship program where we had college-age kids coming down over the summer to do internships with us. And so then at least for the summer months, those kids were getting a lot of attention. So is that you? Is that you doing that? Did you go back to the States and create the internship? Yes. So with a school nearby in Illinois? No, just honestly from people who had come down, we, the Notre Maison has a website and I have, you know, we have the intern application there. and So this was people who happened to come to the website thinking, right. I'm going to go help this. Yes, orphanage. exactly. Or they had maybe stopped at Gertrude's on a mission trip with another group and wanted to spend 
more extended time in Haiti. And you it, created this opportunity right. for them. And so for two or three summers, we had... Um, that's what I remember. I remember you starting to go down for the whole summer. Right. I'm like, and oh, that's, she's now there for the summer. Right? And that was, one, because I wanted to spend longer periods of time there, and two, I was there to supervise the interns. And so that has developed um, decently. And then the last two summers, we actually had physical therapy students who were either just beginning their PT programs or looking for their hours. And so they would come down and work with our kids. And it was finally somebody who kind of knew what they were doing. Right. Unlike me, who would like sure. Google I would, the night before. Yeah, I mean, I'd physical therapy, Google now something. you got to be a doctor. They have exactly. to have a doctor now for physical you know, therapy. So I would Google videos on, you know, how to do muscle massage and then the right. next day practice on the kids. And Right, so. right. So let's jump ahead. You get mm-hmm. to getting the building. Right. So did you find a building or build a building? Mm-hmm. We found a building. Okay. Gertrude, I would assume financially that right. would be the way Gertrude to go. Gertrude found a building. Okay. She, um, and her story is fascinating too, because she originally was, um, was going to enter the convent and the, the Catholic church wanted to send her to the States. And she said, no, I want to stay and work with the poor people of Haiti. And the Catholic church is like, well, we're the boss of you and we're going to send you to the States. And she's like, then I'm leaving the convent because <laughs> Gertrude doesn't, follow orders well. Right, right. So that would have been... She's got that rebellion in Exactly. Right, right. So she stayed, um, and so, but her sister is a nun, and her sister's order um, used to run an after-school program where our school is now. Ah. So when they no longer had enough nuns to manage that and run it, she went to Gertrude and said, would you like to rent this space for your school? And so Gertrude came to me in January, um, just this past January, and said, we have a spot for our school. And I'd kind of given up hope on that. Like, I wasn't really sure that was ever going to happen. And right. then suddenly there it is So for anyone listening, lab. we're talking January of 17. We're sitting here talking in, no- in November of 17. Mm-hmm. So this is just in the last 10 months. Right. They say we got a space. And yeah. And so then I, I just. So you're still teaching I'm in still Illinois. Te- yep. Yeah. Well, no, I'm not teaching in Illinois. At this point, I've quit my job in Illinois and moved down. Okay. That's what I to, thought. Cause right. that's when I got confused earlier. Really. Like the school's <laughs> only been open four months. I'm like, you've been in Haiti for a little while. So, <laughs> so I was right on that part. You right. have been in Haiti. So right. how long, how long ago did you leave teaching in the United States? That was in um, 2000, spring of 2016 was my last okay. year there. And I had originally gone back to my school district and said, may I have a leave of absence for a year to, to go down and, and just spend time with the kids and live there. And the school district said, no, that we're not giving leaves of absence like this. And that was the best thing that could have happened to me. And I actually wrote the human resource guy a letter and said, thank you for saying no, because that's what I needed to hear in order to push me to find a job in Haiti and and make that commitment to Haiti. Leave my comfort zone in the States and go down there. So, I love it. I love the wording you just said, leaving your comfort zone to go where actually is your comfort zone. A I mean, different part irony. of it. Exactly. Right, right. Yeah. So, so the counseling job allows you to financially mm-hmm. survive right. while you're building the school. Exactly. That's awesome. Right. So let, let's back up a little bit now on mindset because for a lot mm-hmm. of people listening to our show, it's, it, they talk about mindfulness mm-hmm. What do you do on a daily, because you see things that are just difficult. Mm-hmm. What do you do on a daily basis for you? Like to take care of your spiritual side, mm-hmm. your your intelligent side, you know, just not getting beaten down by the mm-hmm. systems or the environment you're around. Right. It's a very good question. And some days I'm better at it than others. And I'll, I'll admit that. Um, the 
the taking care of my faith has been a challenge because the churches there obviously are in French and Creole. And those are languages that I'm not fluent in, but I get buy-in. So when I go to church, I miss a lot. Um, and I haven't pushed myself to find um, an, uh, an English-speaking church. I know where there are some, but to and it, some of it is Haitian culture. When you go to church, you're dressed up. It's none of this jeans and, and right. casual stuff. So I feel very much like I have to wear a skirt, even if I went to an, more of an American church. But I get around on a motorcycle, and you can't really wear a skirt <laughs> on a motorcycle. Plus, I wear a helmet. So then, so then I think, well, if I if I wear pants to church, that's not going to look good. And then I'm going to get there with helmet head, and that won't look good. And I was sharing this with the the pastor of First English Lutheran Church in Whitewater yesterday, and he looked at me and he was like, "Get over it. You need to take care of yourself. Get over it." So that's kind of my new mantra right now: is get over it. That's a great uh, phrase, though, it right? Is. It is a great it's phrase. Like, get over it because that's all uh, external, exactly external fire. But right. we all do it, right? We right. all know, do it in I some know. way or form. So what I've been doing is um, I download Bible studies and I, I spend time reading Scripture, and that's really how I center myself spiritually. But I would, I need that spiritual community too, and I think that's my next big challenge is to find that. Do you have a, a community or a network that allows you to almost have like an advisory board atmosphere in the speaking world? We call it masterminds, mm-hmm. where five, six other speakers around the country mm-hmm. will will deep dive with each other, and we're mm-hmm. totally there for each other. In what you're doing, is there some kind of networking where you can plug into and? Be able to share these ideas mm-hmm. with other people that are struggling with the same kind of conflict and battles? Somewhat. It's, some of it is my own introvertedness and in that I, it's hard for me to go out and make friends. That's just not something I do easily. Right. You're not, the, you are not the wild child. No, not that, at all. I followed was getting, the rules. I was getting all the attention. You're <laughs> no. screaming down the hallways. I That's followed the person the on the other side of the microphone right now. <laughs> exactly. So, and I wasn't really a rebel, but I was no. loud and obnoxious. Yeah. So <laughs> interesting. Exactly. That was perfect. <laughs> so um, that, was, that was great. But, um, but yeah, you were, right, you were, you were, right. I so, mean, you were very socially strong though. Like you had strong, had you were in the strong social mm-hmm. circles. Right. But I, I wasn't the extrovert. I, right. And that's not how I replenish myself either. As an introvert, I I replenish myself through quiet time and those kinds of things. Which I think in the role you're in is probably critically important. Because if you needed it externally, where you're at externally would be hard to get it. Exactly. But to know you can take time to yourself and draw from within, mm-hmm. it's one of the gifts of, a, of an introvert mm-hmm. is that you pull from within. People right. think introvert means quiet. It actually means where do you pull your energy source exactly. from? I pull out externally. I mm-hmm. need feedback. Right. You don't. So right. that's a gift in those environments. And I can get up in front of people and talk. I can be in front of my classroom and teach. Public speaking doesn't bother me. But when I'm done with it, to, to replenish myself, I need to pull back and, and, and do something quiet and in right. solitude and everything. Because of that, I'm slowly developing that network. There's one or two women that I've known for a number of years who, who live in Haiti and run things. And we've kind of had superficial contact in, in everything. But just this fall, I feel like I can start talking to them more at a slightly deeper level. So I see you posting on Facebook. Mm-hmm. How often do you have access to the internet? Because I live at Morningstar, 
every day. We have really good Wi-Fi access. Every day. The there. reason I'm asking mm-hmm. is because we have some people in our cast here on the Everyday Mindful Show mm-hmm. uh, that run NGOs. Mm-hmm. That I would love for them to be able to mm-hmm. connect with you because if you have that connection, I think there's a possibility there. I'm just throwing out a possibility mm-hmm. of it doesn't need to be in Haiti. Right. right, it could be an NGO in Africa, an American running mm-hmm. an NGO over there, right, dealing with struggles that you could just bounce off each other. Mm-hmm. Hey, here's what I'm finding. What are you finding? What keeps you going? Mm-hmm. That kind of a thing. As an introvert, is that something that you would be like, yeah, that interests me, or more? You're like, eh. I think it'd be more of a, I'm not so sure about it. Right, it's because it it takes me so long to develop a trusting relationship that. I think just to do it via the internet would be a challenge for me. Um, yeah. I think we could touch on the kind of the the surface challenges of doesn't matter if you're in Haiti or Uganda or wherever, working in a third world country is hard, and especially when it's cross-cultural, because there's so many things that I don't know if it is that the Haitian way of doing it. Is it this particular Haitian's personality? But it's so, but that would be universal, you know. When you're are there, working, are there fear factors? Is your safety ever something you worry about? No, not at all. And That's I probably awesome. should worry more. Um, but I'm also not stupid, you know. Like, I don't drive my motorcycle at night because Haitian drivers are very aggressive. Um, they don't all have lights on their cars. So that's more of a driving safety. It's not a gender safety issue. No, no. And I don't, I don't walk around a lot after dark because in a big city. It's just not smart in any big city. You don't Right, that's a worldwide right. Thing. It's it's not right. a Haitian issue. It's Correct. just it's not safe to walk at night in some parts of any big city. And right. so I just I but I've never feared for my safety. When I'm out on my motorcycle or walking through neighborhoods during the day and everything, always feel safe. I think that's an important thing for everyone to hear because I think sometimes people hear about these countries mm-hmm. and they picture something very different than the reality of what's mm-hmm. happening there. And just because they're struggling doesn't mean they're more violent right? or exactly. they're more criminal uh, in nature as far as that goes. So that, mm-hmm. that's great. Someone listening, they want to they make a difference. They mm-hmm. want to help. How, how do they do that? The best way is to um, contact either me personally via my, my home email and just to kind of get an idea of what we need and everything. But we, have, we do have um, a 501c3 status now through Harvest International, which is based out of Florida. And so there are ways to donate either online through that, like through PayPal, or to, to write a check and mail it to Harvest International. And for anyone listening, we're going to have this all on our website, okay. on our show notes. We'll get the, I'll get the links from you. Okay. Uh, okay. We'll get all that, including your email if they want to reach mm-hmm. out and That'd talk be to great. you. Because a little bit in this case goes a long way. Mm-hmm. right? And, and an example was you were, was it, is it $100 a month that gives them food for how many? There's the, it's called the the moringa tree is this phenomenal tree that has every kind of vitamin and nutrient in it you could imagine. And for $100 a month, we could purchase enough moringa biscuits that every child at the orphanage gets two a day. And those two biscuits, like brownies, meet all of their nutritional needs that they, they have for vitamins, minerals, and protein. So I want everyone thinking, listening right now to think about uh, could I give a hundred dollars a month, and what a difference that would make? Now that that could get covered. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're still a hundred dollars a month could have that kind of impact in another way, and that's mm-hmm. what I want everybody to think of. Like, right. wow, I could just 
And $100 for some listening, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. For some listening, that's like, that's doable. Right. I can do that. Uh, and so we want to be able to help make mm-hmm. that happen. Are there books that you listen to or read mm-hmm. or listen to? It could be audible. <laughs> right. uh, but are, is there something you turn to for your place of inspiration or reflection? We know re- spirituality right. is important for right. you. So the Bible you've mentioned. Mm-hmm. Other books? I come back to you know, always To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, I... Wow, we read and we read that in school together. I know, yeah, many years ago. Yes, but I've had the privilege of. Teaching I think we had the same teacher. In probably, class. most likely, yes. it was yep. a small school. Yes, <laughs> but I, I really um, connected with it when I started teaching it, and I've been fortunate to be able to teach it almost my entire teaching career, whether it was at the high school level or uh, the middle school level with eighth graders, and so I've probably read the book 40, 50 times. And every time I read it, there's something that I learn or I'm reminded of in terms of how to act, how to behave, how to treat other people, how to, how to look at the ideals of the world and try to meet them, even though we're never going to be the ideal country. We're, we're never going to live up to the idea that all men are created equal, but it's a great goal to shoot for. And... <laughs> I love it. I love that such a classic book mm-hmm. uh, in American literature, as far right. as that we talk about, can be so profound and have such an impact for you. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And and I know from Facebook and others, I know your view on inclusivity, mm-hmm. on loving all, and how do you deal with the political environment for yourself? Because I know it's frustrating. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I want to put my head in the sand and just pretend that it's not there because sometimes the big picture gets too overwhelming. And I, and I think that's that's one thing that one of the benefits maybe of living in Haiti is that the political climate in the States is much more tangential. It's, it's not in my face all the time. And when I get overwhelmed by the news and so much of the division um, in American society, I can really look at the orphanage or the the inclusive center and say, I can, I can manage this. I can make a difference in these kids' lives today, whether it's holding their hand, tossing a ball with them, that I can make a difference in and I can influence. Some of this big picture stuff, I can't, or I don't feel like I can influence. And I know, you know, a million voices put together will, will have an impact. Um, but when I get overwhelmed by that, I focus on the little bit in front of me that I can control. Well, and that's the the old prayer, right? God, for the things, let me let go of the things I cannot control. Right, exactly. Control the things I can. I know I'm not saying it right. Right, but you're right. But it's really an important lesson for anyone listening that is frustrated in whatever realm you're coming from because Mm -hmm. frustration on the political side can come from all sides. Is what are you focusing on in that time? Because I think many of us have gone through in the past year, whatever political party, Mm -hmm. where that just sinks you. To you to know you have the orphanage to go, but here, look at the good I'm making. Yes. Just let's, I'm going to spend my time there, my energy, my spirituality. I'm going to put it there. I think that's a really great question to ask everyone listening. What do you have in your life that makes that not so important? Right. Right. That makes things you can't control not so important Mm -hmm. to you so you can focus on the things you Mm -hmm. can that make a difference in the lives of others. Right. You know, and I was just having this conversation with my mom before I came about the role of big government and how do we take care of people and everything. And she gave an example of some things that she and my, my father are doing to support people, you know, 
somebody who's delivering their mail or whatever. And I'm like, but that's it. That's the part you control. And that's, that's so awesome that you're doing that because they've kind of been that role model for me forever of you see a need in your area of control and you meet it the best way that you can. And you treat that other, the other person with dignity. And if you approach it all as we're equals and we're friends, then maybe not even friends, just equals. It takes away any kind of, I'm up here, you're down there. We're just equals and we can meet a need that way. And, yeah. I, and I think it, the more we focus on playing that out in our individual lives, the more problems we're going to solve. You know, it, just treat people with dignity. And it, then it doesn't matter whether they're tall, short, in a wheelchair or not, limping or not, or have a speech impediment or not. It's just, let's meet each other where we are and, and then go from there. I love what, and the stress, really what you're saying, right? I mean, we summarize, it's the, how do we give of ourselves to help others, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, basic 101 when we're children, you're taught, give to help others. Yeah. And and we lose that as we get older, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Some, not all, some Mm -hmm. people are amazing in how they do that. You're, what you're doing is simply sensational. And that's why I want to have you on. I wanted to have people be able to hear this and think, what could I, what can I do? Mm-hmm. Right. I don't have to build the school, but I, like you said, it can be your mom and dad. I can serve a meal to someone down the street. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can do whatever that is to make a difference. And maybe that grows into something amazing. Right. You know, you who know. knows? I saw Tony Robbins on the good morning America mm-hmm. today while I was working out on the bike and he was, he had combined with, it's called, I think feed America. Okay. And I think they were, they had hit a billion families had been fed wow. or something. But that didn't start by a billion. Mm-hmm. That started right. by a hundred. Exactly. And then a thousand and then 100,000. Mm-hmm. And it's the one that you start with. And you, mm-hmm. you did that by going there on one trip. I know. For a few days. <laughs> and, uh, and your life is in a whole new place. Thank you so it much, is. Jamie. This, is, this has been awesome. Once again, for anyone listening, this is Jamie Schumacher making such a huge difference in the world. All, we'll have all the links for your email, for people to donate good. everything at our show website. Sounds good. Thanks, Thanks for joining Michael. us. Michael. Called me Michael. That's wow. Okay. I know. Anyone listening, I'm not in trouble. That usually means I'm in trouble, but that's all right. So thanks again. Three quick reminders. One, please subscribe to the Everyday Mindfulness Show on iTunes. Already subscribed? Then encourage others to join us by inviting them to subscribe to the show. Two, while on iTunes, download all the latest episodes. Three, reviews help more people find out about the show would you please go into itunes and write a review doing so helps spread the mission of the show thanks we appreciate you being a part of our vibrant oftentimes silly and always vulnerable community if you have an idea a thought want to sponsor the show or just want to say hi send us an email at listen at everydaymindfulnessshow.com and check us out at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. Have a joyful, mindful week.